Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. You know, when taking a look at the Christian world, sometimes it can be very easy to be critical. It can be very easy to be critical of Christians, of religious people. It's very easy to do that because it's not unusual, it's very common, that people will create expectations. They will say that if you are a Christian, then you should behave this way, and you should not behave that way. And when people create these expectations, you can't help, in some cases, you can't help but be critical of individuals by looking at them and examining them and wondering, are you really behaving in the way that you say you should be behaving? Are you really living a righteous and holy life? Are you doing the kinds of things that we expect Christians to do? These are the kinds of things that people start to think about when they think about religion and religious activity, that they want to see some results. And we can tend to be a little critical when it comes to these kinds of things because we have been told by many religious leaders that these are the expectations that we should have of religious individuals. When it comes to the body of Christ, for example, and you look at all the different denominations that exist within the body of Christ, and you see that on the surface they don't seem to really be operating as well as we would like. We don't see people working together as much as we would like. We don't see people interacting with the unsaved world. We don't see the evangelism that we would perhaps like to see. And so when we look at the body of Christ, we can tend to be very critical of the body of Christ and say, you know what, I think the body of Christ is dysfunctional for some reason. It doesn't seem to be functioning like I believe it should function. But what I see is very different. What I see is that there is a difference between the organizations that we have around us, the organizations that we have constructed, that we claim are the authorities of God. There is a huge difference between the organizations of people who esteem to be Christians and the organism of the body of Christ the children of God who have been resurrected by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. There is a big difference between the organization and the organism. The organizations are okay. There's nothing inherently wrong or evil with the organizations. In many ways, in order to ensure that money is spent correctly or that resources are applied correctly, in order to ensure that people meet their obligations or accomplish the things that they would like to do, Organizations are established for the purpose of ensuring that these things are taken care of in a well-organized manner. But the organism, the living organism of the body of Christ 
in many cases is very different and in some cases is totally separated from the organizations that people assume are the body of Christ. You see, when you look into the Christian world and you see all kinds of dysfunctional behavior, you see people living as if they are unsaved. They don't seem to be any different than those people who are in the world in the way that they live their lives, in the way that they honor their commitments, in the way that they really sacrifice in their relationships with other people. They don't really seem to be any different than those people who don't know the Lord at all. And so it's easy to look at them and be critical and be judgmental and say that they're dysfunctional. And you know what? In a lot of ways, they might very well be. But there is a body of Christ. There is a body of believers that are separate from the organization. There is an organism that exists. It is an organism, a collection of individuals. Individuals who are being guided and led by the Holy Spirit. There is a difference in many cases. There is a huge difference between being guided and led by an elder or by a pastor or by a counselor and being guided and led by the living God himself. And so when I in the past participated in various congregations and visited and spent time with various people in different organizations, when I did that, I always made the assumption that the organization is not necessarily the organism, but within the organization, there will probably be found some people who are a part of the organism of the body of Christ. Let me describe it to you this way. You probably have encountered people within an organization that you're not sure if they're saved or not. You might think that maybe they don't really know the Lord like you think they should. For example, when a pastor or a minister gives a great message and asks people if they want to come to know the Lord, if they want to give their hearts to Jesus, things like that, sometimes people respond. And when they respond, then that's an indicator to show you that in some congregations, in many congregations, there are people who don't really know the Lord. They might be there for other reasons. They might be there in order to build more business contacts. They might be there looking for a spouse. They might just really like the music. They might be interested in the activities for their kids, but they don't really want to know the Lord. But on occasion, sometimes people feel a little convicted by what is said, and so they will respond and say, yes, I'd like to be saved. This does happen. And so that's what I mean by there being a difference between the organization and the organism, is that in the organism, there is no room for the unsaved. There's no way that a person who is unsaved who does not really believe the gospel, there's no way that they can be a part of the organism. But if a person does not really believe the gospel, they can still be a part of the organization. And so if there is different criteria, if there is different criteria that is used in order to join an organization versus being a member of the organism, then it should not be too much of a surprise to discover that the organization is on occasion a little dysfunctional. However, the organism is totally functional. And when I have found myself in various congregations, I have found a few people here and there, sometimes a little bit more, sometimes a little bit less. It all depends on the group of people. But I have found people who really do know the Lord. They may not know him as well as they would like. They may not know him as well as I would like. But they do know him a little bit, sometimes a little bit more than a little bit. But the point is, is that there are people within the organizations who are a part of the organism, and they are functioning. They are functional. 
They are functional in the sense that they are dependent on the living God. They are being led by Him. They are maturing in a relationship with Him. They are experiencing personal change and transformation through the revelation of the living God as He shows Himself to them over a period of time. And so in that way, the body of Christ is totally functional. I have found that the body of Christ is very active, is very involved. And on occasion in the past, I've been a little bit concerned about this separation that the body of Christ apparently has, that it's not really assembled together under a single organization of some kind. And I've wondered about this, and I've asked the Lord about this. I asked him, why is it that we don't have a a single church, a single denomination of some kind that we could refer to and say that this is the absolute body of Christ. Why, Why don't we have anything like that? Is there any way that maybe we could build something like that? And what I believe he has shared with me is that he's not going to allow that to happen because he wants the living organism to go out into the world, not to be isolated by itself, but to go out into the world and into the denominations, into the religions, into the communities, into the countries and into the families, to go out into the world and share the good news of the gospel of the living God and his Messiah, to share that with individuals on a personal level in a way that can be much more effective than trying to find one leader who will oversee a huge organization that is filled with living organisms of the body of Christ. That it can be much more effective when it comes to the dissemination of the gospel to spread people out, for people to go out, for people to go out into the world and share the good news that he has revealed. And so I personally am not very concerned about Where is the body of Christ and where are the true believers and where are the people who are really depending on the Lord in the way that he wants them to? Where are they? Because I know that he has people and he has them everywhere and he has us separated for a reason. And I believe that that reason is so that he can have greater access within and through us to people in the world that he wouldn't have if we were preoccupied with just finding ways to assemble with each other all the time. I think there's great value in us being able to assemble together and to see what the body of Christ is doing as a whole. However, we will not be as effective as we could be if we stay amongst ourselves. Now, when it comes to the living organisms, the people who are born again by the Spirit of God, who are a part of the body of Christ, when it comes to these individuals versus those individuals who are just simply a part of organizations, when it comes to real true believers who are depending on their God, there is a uniqueness that exists amongst these people. The uniqueness is that these are people who are living on the basis of what our God has done for us and on the basis of what he has given to us. And this life is a life of receiving from our God what he has for us. It begins with an understanding of his will, and an understanding of the inheritance that was defined by this will, that we have received according to this will that went into effect after he died. 
the maturity of a believer can often be measured by their discovery of what they have received and their application in their daily lives. They're making use of what they have received in their daily lives. That the maturity of a believer can often be measured in this way. But this life of receiving and living is not just for ourselves, but it is also for others. And I believe that the realization, the true realization of what he has given to us is experienced when we share what he has given with us with other people, regardless of whether they are part of the body of Christ or not. Regardless of that, when we share with others what we have received from our God, there is a realization, there is a completion, there is a revelation concerning the value and the reality of our God participating in our lives. And so I believe it's very important for a person to first discover what they have, to then live their lives with what they have, but to also share with others what they have been given. And in Romans chapter 12, the Apostle Paul writes about this, beginning in verse 4, where he says, For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, Each of us is to exercise them accordingly, if prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in the serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy." He's talking about people giving to others what they have received. The gifts that he described are not gifts that we supposedly conjure in our own persons, on the basis of our own talents, on the basis of our own attitudes, on the basis of those things that we like or those things that we would personally feel a greater sense of pride in participating in. Not that kind of stuff. He's talking about, first and foremost, that we are to receive gifts from our God. That is what we do. We receive what he has for us, and then what he has given to us is to then be freely given to others. And so this is nothing more than a description of a transference This is a description of our God participating in the world within and through his people. Now, there are differences in these gifts, but this is not, this is not defined by inherent talents that an individual has. You know, sometimes you have to be careful with this because there are people who are good teachers. They're great teachers and they may not know the Lord at all. And then what happens when they discover the Lord? Does that mean that they have been given the gift of teaching and now somehow this gift is going to be applied appropriately in their religious activity or in their Christian life? No, I don't believe that. I really don't. I really believe that this is a unique gift that God gives to his people. Now, he may give that to them before they are saved, but I personally believe that what he's referring to here in this passage is those gifts that he probably gives after a person has been saved. The gift of service. You know, an individual may have the natural desire to serve other people 
in their flesh. And this may not be of God at all. It may be out of their own pride, trying to esteem value, trying to esteem meaning and purpose in their life by being of service to other people. And they don't need to know the Lord at all in order to be of service to other people. That's not what I believe he's referring to. I believe that as a person is receiving the service that God has for them, then they will be of service to others with the service that he has given to them. So also, when a person teaches, they don't need to be some great profound speaker or motivator of some kind in order to be a teacher of God. All they need to do is be taught by God. And what God teaches them, they can then teach other people. When it comes to prophecy, which I believe can be defined as a proclamation of the truth that God has revealed, whether it has to do with future events, past events, present events, regardless of the timing of things, that when a person communicates something that the Lord has revealed, this individual is doing nothing more than sharing with others what he has received from his God. Our God prophesies to us. He communicates to us. He gives us insights and revelations concerning the circumstances of our life. And when we share that with other people, We are simply sharing with other people those things that he has freely given to us. And so when we give to others, this gift that we give, again, is nothing more than a gift that we have received. So we cannot think highly of ourselves, especially when we truly recognize that the origin of what we have and the origin of what we share comes from the Lord. When we recognize that, then we are not thinking more highly of ourselves. And even though we may do so with conviction, and we may do so with commitment and with determination, and with a heartfelt attitude that this is real and that this is right, even though we may do that unapologetically, and some people may look at us and say, my goodness, you're an extremely arrogant individual. Oh, no. No, I'm just simply a person of belief, of conviction, a person of faith who knows what he has received from his God and who knows that this is something to be shared with others. And the confidence is not out of pride or arrogance. It is confidence in knowing the true and living God for who he is, recognizing first and foremost that I am nothing, that we are nothing. We are absolutely nothing and he is truly Everything and the boasting is only in Him, not in and of ourselves. And when this is recognized and when this is understood by a believer and when the truth is communicated, of course, within and through them, then it is nothing more than us giving to others what our God has given to us. And these are some simple examples concerning the gifts of the Spirit that He gives according to the needs and the circumstances of life. And that everyone is given different gifts by the Holy Spirit. Now, when I say everyone is given different gifts, I do not mean that you are given one gift and that's what you get and that's all you get. And you should be happy and you should be thankful and you are now to live your life in that way with what you have been given. That's not what I believe. That's not what I'm saying. What I believe is that our God gives to his people various things. And sometimes he may give one thing, and sometimes he may give something else. That these gifts are dynamic in nature. 
One day you may have the gift of teaching, and another day you might not. And one day you might have the gift of prophecy, and another day you might not. One day you might have the gift of service, and another day you might not. I believe that this is a living experience, a dynamic experience with a dynamic God, a living God, one who is participating in the world that He has created, and we are His body, and He participates in the world within and through us, and these circumstances of life are different. We encounter all kinds of different circumstances in life, and sometimes He might use us in one way, and other times He will use us in another way, and you must recognize that a living God who is actively involved in the world that He has created is going to participate in different ways, at different times, with different people, in different capacities. He gives different things to different individuals, and so why would it be that he would give different things to these same individuals at different times in different ways for different purposes? What's the problem with that? What's the difference with that? I really believe this, that yes, maybe today I might have the gift of teaching, but that doesn't mean that I'm going to have the gift of teaching tomorrow. You know, when I hear people say that they have the gift of prophecy, I can't help but wonder, okay, so that's nice, so you have the gift of prophecy right now, so go ahead and give us the prophecy that you have to give, and then I'll see you tomorrow, and maybe you'll have a gift of prophecy, or maybe you won't. People who have the gift of service, what happens when they stop serving? We might think that perhaps they've backslidden in some way, maybe they have lost their salvation. No, it doesn't mean that at all. It just means that the Lord is not working within and through them in that way at that time. What about those who have the gift of exhortation, who can strongly urge individuals in a certain way? Well, maybe they do that one day, but that doesn't mean that they're going to do it the next. Or if they do, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're doing it out of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. They might be doing that just because they feel like they have some self-importance of some kind, because they have this role in your life, this purpose in your life, to urge you earnestly that that's who they are, that that's their job. And you had better respond, otherwise you are evil. I've met people like this, and I personally believe that in many cases, this is something that they do out of the energy of their flesh, and that this is not of God at all. I personally have that opinion. It doesn't mean that I'm right. I'm just saying that our God works with us in a very dynamic and living way. And for us to assume that we are given one thing and one thing only, or that we are given something and then he never He never works with us in any unique way otherwise. I personally believe that, that is a little narrow-minded and that is a little constraining. And I do not believe that our God functions that way. I have seen him do this in my own life. I have seen him use me as a teacher in one case, and he has not used me as a teacher in another case. I have seen him use me as a servant in one case, and yet in other cases he has not. And so I am speaking from the depths of my own personal experience, not just from the text. In verse 9, this is Romans chapter 12, verse 9, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope. Persevering in tribulation. Devoted to prayer. Contributing to the needs of the saints 
practicing hospitality. But again, these are things that our God does within the hearts of his people. We don't look at this and examine ourselves and see what we are fulfilling or what we are not fulfilling. He didn't give us this as a list of things that we should examine ourselves concerning. No, I sincerely believe that the Holy Spirit within each one of his people who are members of his body, the Holy Spirit will direct and guide individuals. And so if he directs and guides you in any of these ways, at any time in your life experience, allow him to do it. This is not a list of commandments. This is not a list of ordinances. This is a description of what the Holy Spirit will do within his people. And if you are experiencing this in your heart, then do not resist him. Do not resist him. Allow him to do this work in your heart. Allow him to give to you what he wants you to give to others. In verse 14, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him, and if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And I believe that our God does this work in the hearts of his people, that the living organism of the body of Christ functions this way overall, and that he works with his individual people personally and individually in a dynamic, living way. And so be attentive to these things. And when he does a work in your heart to live this way, to interact with other people in these ways, then do so. Do not resist him. And now we'll continue into Romans chapter 13 in the next broadcast. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. 